Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold. Say yes to adventure. Say yes to living it. Hi, this is Chris Whiteout, and welcome to Living It, conversations with experts in the experience of being human. I'm with a good buddy, Rob Todd. Rob is the founder of Allagash Brewing Company. In 2019, he won a James Beard Award. Back when I knew Rob, we were actually fraternity brothers. We were drinking flat bush out of solo cups. And now he's winning a James Beard Award. This is absolutely amazing. Now, James Beard, so his, the, the mission is to celebrate, nurture, and honor chefs and other leaders making America's food culture more delicious, diverse, and sustainable for everyone. Like this is an amazing honor. Did you know about James Beard? How much did you know about James Beard and how big an honor was it? It was a huge honor. And, you know, like I said, when I got the award, which I honestly, I was completely shocked. I figured they told you in advance at the ceremony because, you know, people have these just like amazing, thoughtful speeches. So I was like, well, they must tell you in advance. And since no one told me, I'm definitely not going to win this year. So I don't have to think of anything to say. Uh, And then all of a sudden I won. I was like, you know, all the, all the muscles like tensed up in my body. I was like, damn, I got to think of something to say, like between here and the stage. I don't even remember exactly what it is, but it was a huge honor and I had been nominated for a few years prior and, but you know, and I think the first time I got nominated was maybe five years prior to winning the award. And at that point I didn't know a whole lot about it. I definitely was familiar with it, but didn't know a ton about it. Um, but between then and when I won the award, I, I, I learned a ton about it. And I, I have a lot of friends here in Portland. Portland's an amazing culinary town. Um, who have won it. Um, And I was lucky enough actually to have dinner at the James Beard House for a Brewers Association event we were doing just to promote craft beers and independent breweries. Um, So I I gained familiarity um, for sure in the years leading up to it. Because he was the guy who really created the sense of American cuisine, right? Back in 46, like the first... TV show, first cooking TV shows. And I didn't know anything about him. But when you look at it, I can't imagine that the more you learned, the more you thought, wow, this is so cool for me to be here. It was it was really cool to be in the company of the people that I knew that had won it. I mean, so like these amazing chefs, uh, chefs here in Portland. I mean, some of my really good friends uh, run a place in town called Eventide Oyster. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Arlen and, and Andrew, Arlen, Andrew and Mike, um, they, it's been a while since I've seen them because these, you know, you don't see people in the restaurant and bar business nowadays during COVID. But anyway, I mean, I have so much respect uh, for these guys and, um, uh, Sam at Four Street and, you know, just all these amazing chefs. And it was, I was super honored to be in the, in the company of these, of these people. And, and some prior brewers who had won it, um, Garrett Oliver, who's the brewmaster at Brooklyn. And, you know, he's been brewing beer 
since the 80s, you know, since we've known each other, you know, going back well over 30 years, amazing, amazing brewer, very knowledgeable, um, not only in the beer world, but in the cheese world, culinary world, wine world, liquor world. Um, and then uh, Sam uh, Caligioni from Dogfish Head, he was also a recipient of the award. Of the award. So I, I was just really honored to be, um, you know, recognized and, and, and added to those people that I have so much, added to the list of people that I have so much respect for. And it was really, it was the hard work of the crew at the brewery that, that made that award possible. I mean, we've just got, you've been here before. I mean, every, you know, there isn't one person here who isn't just like incredibly passionate and dedicated um, with just making really great beer. Well, you've said before that passion is the thing that drives you and it drives the people who work for you. How did it start for you? So you started back in 94, is that right? At Otter Creek, is that when in you- 93, used- yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, as you know, I graduated in 1991. Um, actually, one of the things I, I had this fear when I graduated, I had a geology degree, um, but I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do with my life at the time. And I had this fear of getting into something just to get into it, just because, of course, you need to start a career right when you get out of college, right? <laughs> I, I was worried to death about ending up in a career and then just like waking up one day near retirement age and just been like, what the F did I just do with the last 35 years of my life? I just, I was scared to death about not waking up every day and just being energized and passionate about what the day had in store for me. And and so I went out West and spent, you know, I worked the whole time. Um, I was either washing dishes at night or, uh, you know, I did that for a year or so. And then I had a a construction job for a year or so. Um, But then I, you know, I moved back to Vermont and I was like, I was starting to get a little restless, honestly, after two years. And I was like, I need to figure out you know, at some point I'm going to need to find a career. I need to like figure out what that's going to be. Maybe I'll apply to grad school for geology and that'll really like suck me in. So I went, I I went back to Vermont literally like the day I got back there, I called a buddy of mine who went to Middlebury, Ian Kirkwood, within an hour of moving my stuff into this farmhouse where I rented a rented a little room in an old farmhouse above, above the kitchen. Um, and uh, yeah, it's funny. I used to, I, I used to, I don't know why this memory is popping back in my head, but I just, I, I threw my futon on the ground, you know, had a, a, a trunk full of clothes and they had cats in the house. And I remember lying on the futon, I could see like fleas, fleas jumping. I mean, it was like a farmhouse, you know? And, uh, but anyway, I, within an hour of moving my stuff and I called my buddy Ian, I was like, Ian, I need a job to tide me over to like figure out what I'm going to be do, what I'm going to do here. Maybe I'll apply to grad school for geology. And he said, well, I'm working at this little brewery down the road. And my boss today uh, said, we need a part-time keg washer. So I was like, huh, you know, I like drinking beer um, and I can get paid and maybe get some free beer. I showed up there the next morning and I, it literally, 
it was an amazing experience just like walking through the door of the brewery. I just, I'll never forget it. The door opened and I was like, oh my gosh, like this place is amazing. I mean, there's like this mechanical, I was surrounded by all this mechanical stuff like pipes and hoses and wires and tanks. And I've always liked mechanical stuff. You know, I've never been able to focus uh, unless, um, or at least when I was a kid, I, I especially couldn't focus unless I was like doing something with my hands, like tinkering with something or, you know, taking the broken vacuum cleaner apart or taking a broken hair dryer or radio apart. I, I would just get like totally focused and intrigued by it. And I felt like I was like walking into that world. Um, and I got a, I got a tour. They just kind of showed me around as part of a quick orientation. And, you know, there was a science lab there and I was like, I liked geology and I like science. So there was science in there and I could see they were making like four different beers. So there was just like artistic creative component. And, you know, I started washing kegs probably an hour after walking in the door, which is a miserable job. I mean, very manual, these old wood, you know, they got the wood bung in them and you just get hot and wet and dirty. And so and these I are did, the wooden kegs where they're, where they're storing the beer, where they're aging the beer. Those no, these are, are actually, they're metal. They're the steel kegs that go to the bars. Um, but these are the old ones. They're kind of shaped almost like a barrel or a pear and they have a, they're sealed by a wood bung. Okay. Um, they, they don't even use them anymore. <laughs> you used to be able to get them from scrap price back in the nineties. Uh, and I mean, you had to get in there things. like with a brush or how did that work? Or? Almost. I mean, you basically had to like wash the outside of the keg manually. You get hot and wet and dirty. You know, there's like lettuce and stuff from the back of the restaurant all over it. And then you like depressurize it. You sit on it. You have to take a screwdriver and, and bang it into the bung and like pop the bung out while you sit on it. And if you leave too much pressure in the keg, when you do that, the keg will literally like take off. Cause it's, you know, like a rocket cause all the pressure comes out the bung and then you need to move it from like one station to the next. And these cleaning spouts, like clean the inside of the keg and you inspect it and rebung it. It's, it's a miserable job. But as I was doing this miserable job, which is kind of Zen, but miserable, I was like fascinated by everything I saw and just got so drawn into it. Literally like after two days, I went, from or in a span of two days, I went from having no idea what I wanted to do with my life to like, I was like, I want to make beer for the rest of my life. This is what I want to do. I want to, I want to, I want to either work in or run a brewery. And I remember going home that night and calling my parents who were excited that I was going to maybe put roots down in Vermont and go to grad school and at least do something with my Middlebury education. And I called and I'm like, my mom answered. I'm like, mom, get, you know, get dad on the phone. I've got some news. And they both got on the phone and my mom's like, what's the news? And I'm like, I'm not going to grad school. Uh, I'm going to be a beer brewer. I'm going to make beer for a living. And they were just like silent because there weren't these little breweries back then. Right. I mean, um, they were silent. And finally, after like a minute, my mom's like, you know, Rob, one of these days you're going to have to stop living in a fantasy land. But uh, I mean, I was like so charged up and energized and passionate about it. I, I literally, I, I asked my boss who was real supportive. I'm like, you know, give me a list of books to get. And I got books and I, I 
work at the brewery all day and then I'd go home at night and I'd like literally read brewing books till I couldn't keep my eyes open and I just repeat the next day and this is like an apprenticeship effectively it was and you know I was lucky that I had because I told my boss Lawrence Miller who ran Otter Creek Brewing I said to him I said I want to do this for the rest of my life I think I want to start a brewery I will give you a minimum of a year I'll work my ass off but I would love the opportunity to do like a little of everything in the brewery. He was super supportive. And at the time he kind of needed me to do everything because when I started there, there are three employees. When I left a year later, there are eight employees and I was able to wash kegs and then work on the bottling line and wash kegs. And then, you know, do some apprentice brewing and work on the bottling line. And I, you know, I was able to do a little of everything there. So you know, you really, you don't know enough to start a brewery after just one year working in a brewery, but at least I was able to get a feel for a little, a, a little of everything, a little of everything. And yeah, it was like, it was like an apprenticeship. There's so many people who had their home brewing kits. Like you can make a, you can make beer in your closet or whatever. And yeah. How much different is that? than actually brewing a beer. I mean, it's similar in some ways, right? I'm assuming, but it's, it's the same, but different. Yeah. And it's interesting because that's how I'm just guessing, you know, 95% of the people that were in the business back in the nineties and maybe even still now, that's how people got in this business is they started home brewing. Um, and there are definitely similarities. I mean, you're basically doing the same thing. If you're doing it, you know, if you fast forward uh, 25 years in my career to how we do things now, I mean, we do things like in an extremely controlled scientific um, uh, in, environment, okay, on, on state-of-the-art equipment. But we're essentially doing, we're going through the same steps essentially that a, that a home brewer is, is going through. But I, you know, rather than learning the trade by starting with home brewing, I, I learned it starting with washing kegs you started at the bottom um i mean i didn't yeah i didn't brew a batch of beer for you know four or five months i, I was just working on the packaging lines and, and i honestly think it was a great way to learn the trade i'm a big believer in learning those like fundamental nuts and bolts things including the things of just like you know they in brewing school they tell you 30% of all the hours in a brewery need to be spent cleaning. And those are important things to learn. You don't necessarily learn those if, if you're a home brewer, but you learn them if you're working in the, in the brewing trade. What does it mean? Because you keep talking about brewing beer as a trade. What yeah. does that mean? I, I look at it as a trade. And, and honestly, I think that's what would have made me happiest um, and maybe why I didn't want to jump into, you know, uh, probably a lot of the careers that, that people had when they, when they left Middlebury. I mean, one, one career that I was really interested in was maybe doing restoration carpentry. Um, I uh, had spent a lot of summers in, in high school and in college, summer jobs, working construction jobs. And I, I just, I like working with my hands. You know, I like the trades. I, I like carpentry. I like plumbing. I took some uh, welding courses in high school. And like 
again, that's, I think what sucked me into brewing is I walked into the first brewery and I'm like, I'm like in every trade imaginable. Like there's welding here, there's electrical, there's plumbing. And, you know, again, like going back to when I was a kid, I, I mean, as you can tell, talking to me, I, I have trouble focusing on fidgety. Right. And the only time I could focus is if I was like taking something apart. If I was like in, you know, like checking out how a motor worked in or, the midst of it. Yeah. yeah, or a radio worked or something like that. And I, I look at that, it's, it's kind of like trade work and the beer world, it's a trade. I mean, you're working with your hands for sure. Did you have any idea when you then went to start your own brewery, how well that would serve you having been in the trade, some of the skills that you had, that you had acquired along the way? I, I did. I mean, that's one of the few things I was pretty confident in um, because I had, I, had, I had had exposure over the years to tons of that stuff. And my plan was to work at Otter Creek for one year and then spend one year building the brewery, just cobbling it together on my own. Um, a, because I didn't have much of a budget to do it. I really didn't want to go out and get investors because I wanted to be able to kind of do things my way and not have to answer to anyone. But I also, it, you know, building it myself appealed to me because there were plenty of people out there, even at the time, maybe not plenty, but a few people who could kind of build a brewery and write the recipes like soup to nuts. But I felt like I'd be getting the same thing other people were getting. I wanted like a truly unique um, a, a truly unique system, hopefully giving me the ability, and we can talk about this in a little bit, to brew like really unique beer and give people a unique experience with beer. Um, but I did feel like one thing that really gave me confidence was I had worked in the trades and I knew how to, I knew basically how to build the brewery. I knew some basic plumbing, welding, electrical, carpentry, et cetera. So I felt pretty comfortable with that. I did, however, know I was realistic that, you know, I've been, I had been doing it for a year and working in a brewery for a year. And I knew from, from, from what I had learned that you can spend your lifetime in the beer business, even on like one facet of the beer business and be far from learning everything about that. You know, it's an extremely complicated um, business, like, like, like any business. So I, I knew that there were, there was a lot that I didn't know. And I really went into things trying to keep it simple because of that. And I basically was like, I'm going to keep this as simple as possible. Like no employees, because I'd never had employees before. So I, I don't know how to be a boss, right? Um, one beer only, because I'm writing the recipes. I, I just want to come up with one beer and just like do it right and get it right and be happy with it. And maybe a year later, I'll do another beer you know, one package only just draft in just the local market. So I kept it really, really, really simple because I knew that I didn't know anything about the business, <laughs> you know? So you kept it simple. You did the sweat equity. How were you funding it? So a mix. Um, my dad loaned me some money. He was really, really, really supportive. Um, and we got an SBA loan. So really between those two things, we funded it, but it really was done on a shoestring. I mean, I, 
at least 4,000 square feet and literally like cut drainage trenches in the floor, jackhammered it out, got sticks of mild steel. I was too chip cheap to buy stainless steel for all like the staging that went around the tanks. I got mild steel and like cut it and welded it together and painted it. And I did a lot of the tank rigging myself with like chain falls and block and tackles. I had, just had a couple lobstermen come and help me one day. Um, you know, I mean, it, it really, it was, it was done on a shoestring budget. And the first couple of years, we didn't make any money, but our overhead was like really, really low. Cause again, my first year, I only had me on, on the payroll. Um, and I wasn't very needy at the time. Portland wasn't expensive to live. I didn't have a, you know, even the, I was thinking about this today. Uh, the first eight or so years, I think running the company, I only stayed in motel sixes when I was, when we started like expanding markets and I was out doing, doing sales, I would, I'd never spend more than twenty nine ninety nine on a hotel room. Just our, we just had a super, uh, we were like that. Uh, what's that kink song? Low, I'm on a low budget. Like we were on a low budget for, for a while. What so. was keeping you going? Because, because there, there is a struggle. You're working super hard. What kept you thinking, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. I mean, this gets into the passion thing. From the moment I discovered, like I didn't know these breweries existed. Back in 93, when I walked into my first brewery, there was maybe 200 breweries in the country, you know, 50 or so of the big breweries and 150 or 200, I don't know, of the little craft breweries. So I'd never seen this. Um, but I just like, I fell in love with it. I guess it was like love, love and passion. I don't know. I mean, not to get sappy, but I like... I still, to this day, when my alarm clock goes off, I mean, like anyone, I'm like groggy. I'm like, shit, I don't want to get out of bed. But, you know, when I do, I, I can't wait to get in here. And that, honestly, the first, in a lot of ways, the first 10 years of running this business, like, sucked. Because, believe me, we weren't getting James Beard Awards or Great American Beer Fest Awards or any of we, we were getting very little recognition. People didn't want to drink the beer because it was kind of weird, different beer. Um, but I, there were very few times where I was like, um, I'm getting out of this. Like, um, I'm done. I can't keep coming in day after day after day, uh, you know, just barely making a living on this, getting no recognition, distributors paying me late, you know, having the worst selling uh, draft beer out of all 10 at this, at this account. I mean, there were so few days where I, where that stuff got at me. I just, I love everything about this business. And, you know, I, to me too, it's just about like, you know, again, not to use like cliches and stuff, but it really is like about the journey for me. Like, I just love doing this. Like, I love even things like in the old days, like squeegeeing the floor and then being able to look back and having like a super clean floor, you know? Um, There's a pride in that. Yeah, just like, or, you know, doing some like piping work over the weekend, I used to do mechanical, I worked seven days a week for 10 years. And I, I used to come in and do mechanical work on the weekend. And, you know, I'd have to go in there and show up at 530 and work like 12 hours a day on the weekends. And just like, 
you know, putting the pipes together and sweating the pipes up and then being able to come back and look at it. Like, I, I, I like that work. Like the stuff, the stuff like hitting a, we hit a hundred thousand barrels last year of production, which I never in my wildest dreams would have guessed we, we would get to that size, but that's, that stuff's not like that inspirational to me. I, I just like coming in every day and like doing it. And I'm a big believer. And if you do come in and do it and just, even if you have like shitty dairy equipment, if you're trying to do it, like absolutely the best you can do it, like that's what like really motivates me. And if, and if you do that every single day for 10 years, 20 years, and like everyone on the team is approaching things like that, not like necessarily going after the gold medal or going after a hundred thousand barrels or, you know, um, going after like the highest market share, you know, if, if you, if you're just passionate about that day to day grind and I really am like, I feel like all of those other things unfold, they come eventually. What's your, what's your role now? Cause you're on your website, you are listed as founder. What, mm. Do, do, do you play any other roles? What's, what's your position in the company? It's a good question. <laughs> do you have an answer? I'm not exactly sure what the answer is because, I mean, it, it's, it's a totally mixed bag. Um, I mean, there will be, and it's a mixed bag every day because there will be some days where I'm like deeply involved with, like something technical out in uh on the production floor like in a, a equipment installation or something like that and um you know 2 hours later i could be doing um a uh like diversity and inclusion training with the leadership team here at the brewery and like 2 hours later i could be doing a review with someone that reports, reports to me. Um, I mean, in an hour after that, I might go to an event uh, that uh, is tied in with our philanthropy program. So last, last year, and this year is going to be a little leaner because of COVID, but last year, I think we gave about $370,000 back to the local community. That's super important to us. Um, So it's just, you know, and then, you know, the next day I might come in and do like a three hour project in the morning with like, uh, what is, what do the next three years look like for us? Like str- strategic thinking. So it can be like super detailed stuff. It can be strategic stuff. And I forgot about being out on the road and traveling cause I haven't done it in, in seven months, but that was a huge part of my life is just engaging with customers that are drinking the beer, engaging with distributors engaging with retailers you know i love i love spending time in the in the trade and just seeing what's going on with other breweries and um just spending time chatting chatting and engaging with customers so it's my and i think that's one of the things i love about this job is it's just like it's all over the map maybe too much i don't know so much variety but it's not like you got completely kicked upstairs right you're not no you're not just spreadsheets and you're still getting to work with your hands you're still getting to have input on the brewing of the beer i'm assuming yeah although 
Yes, although I defer, I mean, if it's a finance question, I will defer to our, I'll, I'll, I'll talk it over with Craig in finance, but I will defer to his expertise with, with HR. I will, def, you know, I'll, I'll have a conversation with it. I love talking about, you know, opportunities, challenges or whatever on the HR front, but I'll defer to my head of HR. Our brewmaster, Jason, just amazingly capable and I'm going to defer to him ultimately. Um, but I still am involved with those discussions for sure. And I, I think I like that again, because, you know, I am a fidgety person. I can't do, I can't sit in front of spreadsheets for more than an hour. I mean, literally I would, I go crazy and I will literally walk out this door and down onto the floor and like, look at cans go by on the canning line and chat with the crew down on the canning line or like go up on the brew deck and like look in a tank, um, so I think just because because I'm so fidgety, I'll, I'll it, and I am a believer. Like I will, I've been doing this for a while. I mean, I've been doing this now for 27 years. I'll notice stuff when I'm just like walking around. I'll I'll notice stuff all over the place. Like why is that pressure gauge say that? You know, you know why does why is this boil uh, not as vigorous as it usually is? And I'll, I'll totally see. I'll totally see stuff like that. And all those little details are important. They add up. Well, you have a holistic view because you also, I mean, this is the beauty of it, right? Taking it from the beginning, from nothing, welding together the dairy tanks to make it happen. You said you wanted to keep it simple early on. So one beer, one packaging, get it out. Don't worry about it. You made some choices though. Why, why Belgian beer? Mm. And, and why the white? Because it was yeah. uncommon back then, right? Totally. And so it was really important for me. Um, it was important for me to do something different. I, at the time, this is back in like the mid nineties, there were great two or 300. I don't, I don't remember the exact number of craft breweries in the country. They were brewing phenomenal beers but they were almost all in the British style, the German style, and like the Pacific Northwest pale ales were starting to come in, come into New England. Um, and I just didn't see the point of spending like probably a year building a brewery. And I knew I'd be coming in, you know, 12, 16 hour days, seven days a week. I didn't see the point of going to all that work and then maybe my life running it only to do something people could already get. I was like, it just seemed like futile to me. Like, why do that? Like, if I'm going to go to all this work and spend my life doing something, I really want to give people something different, something unique. I want to give people a new experience with beer. And I looked at, I, I had had exposure to Belgian style beers when I was at Otter Creek. We used to try beers after work. Um, the employees, which there weren't many at the time, whenever we were out at a, a liquor store and saw a new beer, we grab it and bring it in and try it. And I was fascinated by these Belgian beers and they, the Belgians use like everything process wise and ingredient wise in their beers. Um, they use uh, fruits, spices, unmalted grains. They do bar barrel age their beers. They use wild yeast, bacteria. I mean, for a pretty small country, I mean, you can drive across it in a day and a few hours, but for this pretty small country, the beer 
like variety is like mind boggling. It's almost limitless. And I think just because of the ingredients in the brewing tradition, it, it, it gives brewers an opportunity to give people like a limitless experience with beer. And so that intrigued me. The downside to that was, was it was a really unique experience with beer, like so unique that people were just like, you know, what is this? So this beer I'm drinking now, uh, this is the Allagash white beer. And it was the beer I started with. It's still my favorite thing in the world to drink. Um, but it's cloudy. It's spiced. It's fermented with this pretty unique yeast strain. And I used to walk into accounts and pour a beer for the bartenders or restaurant owners. And it was cloudy. And the first thing they'd do is look at it and say, what's wrong with it? You know, why does it look like that? And they'd taste it. And they'd be like, why does it taste like this? Why does it smell like this? Um, it was so much different. If I was lucky enough to even get it on tap, uh, it wouldn't, it generally wouldn't sell. And I even had one of my, there's two accounts in town. Now I'm down to two because I started with six accounts, six draft accounts when I opened, when I started and four of them are now gone. And, and uh, one of them was shut down for a year or so, but uh, one of the two that's been open continually for over 25 years, I'll never forget going in. The guy was really nice. He's a good friend of mine. And he was like, he poured it and he's like, you know what? He's like, I'll put it on for you, but it's not going to sell. <laughs> and he was right. It, it like literally it didn't sell for 10 years, but he, he stuck with it and it, it sells now. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, I looked at the Belgian style brewing tradition and white beer in particular is just an opportunity to give people like a really unique experience of beer. And that was the decision was you wanted to do something that was unique. Was it to your particular taste? You say this is the thing that you, that yeah. you like to drink. Were you making it to your taste? Is that how it worked? For sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's something I like. I, I, I really didn't, it's funny now because I mean, we sell a lot of this beer. We're so, we sell like 80,000 barrels a year of this beer, just this beer alone. And the brewery production is about a hundred thousand barrels. And to put that in perspective, my original business plan, it's sitting somewhere in this cluttered office. Uh, I, I think when I retired, I figured I'd be making like seven or 8,000 barrels of beer a year or so. Um, so I never thought we'd be selling this much beer, but you know, a lot of people ask me now, they're like, wow, you know, like you must've really seen this as a potential niche. And, you know, cause you're obviously selling so much of this beer right now. I never looked at it like that. I, I, I purely looked at it as I want to do something people aren't doing right now. Like I'm not going to spend my life making something someone can already get. What's the point? But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, I wanted to make something I liked to drink. I can't go out and sell. I didn't have a sales rep for 15 years. It was just me. And I can't sell something that I don't like really deeply believe in. So I wanted to create something that was unique, that was like drinkable, sessionable, but something I love that I like could, um, I, I guess I can't, I'm not a good liar, I guess. I'm not good with a straight face and in going in and selling something that, that I don't really believe in. So I wanted something that I like really, really just loved. And so I wrote that white beer recipe to 
you know, fit into the style. I mean, there's style guidelines for different beers and white beer is a traditional style that's existed for, for hundreds of years. Um, so I wanted it to, to, to fit into the style, but I wanted it to be a unique and, you know, our own, my own interpretation of the, of the style. Do you go through kind of like a bunch of different batches of it? How does the process work where you make it and go, okay, I like that, but I want to change this. Is it, yeah. How do you, how do you make it work? Yeah. So, you know, when I, the other thing about when I started, I, I leased space in October and Portland, Maine was a really seasonal community back then. It's still pretty seasonal, but it was really seasonal back then. And I knew like getting into the shoestring budget thing, I knew I had to be selling beer like June, ideally June one, worst case, like July one, or I'd be in trouble basically. So as I was building the brewery, I had a little system and a couple of the tanks are like sitting right behind me. I, I was able to scrounge them up. They ended up in around town at a few friends places, but I have one of the original little fermenters. I, I made a little 10 gallon system, like a, a, a little bit of a glamorous, but not so glamorous homebrew system. And I started brewing test batches as I was building the brewery. And to be totally honest, by the time I had to start brewing for like a July one release, I probably didn't have it quite where I wanted, but I, ha I had to start making it on the commercial level. Like, the, the brewery was basically assembled by March of 95. I did uh, test batch one, dumped it, test batch two on the large scale. And this is after 10 or so small scale. And then test batch three, I was like, I got to sell this, this batch of beer. This and is it, I'm committed. This is it. And it, it was 90% there. It was 90% there. But then I spent the first, till about November, I would say of 95, I spent that period tweaking it a little from batch to batch. But since then, it like I'm drinking this now, it tastes the same as when I, with one big exception. So it, it, this tastes the same as the beer tasted back then when I actually made a batch of beer that tasted the way I wanted it to. Because I was so challenged with equipment back then. I mean, I literally, I was my mash lauder ton was like a dairy tank. I mean, there's, there's a, a label on it with a cow's head, okay, on this tank. And we used that one for 18 years. Every batch of beer went through that tank. But we just, the, the, the equipment, I couldn't make consistent beer on that equipment, okay? I just, it was almost impossible. But like five or 10% of the time, I got it, you know, just right. And that's what this beer tastes like now, 100% of the time. Because now, I mean, we're brewing on a state-of-the-art German brew house. We have state-of-the-art equipment from that brew house all the way to the packaging line. You know, we have an amazing logistics team that gets it to the market and sales team that gets it to the market fresh. So, um, but to answer your question, it was, you know, six months of 10 gallon test batches, two large scale test batches. And then I sold it and tweaked it for the first five months. Wow. And, and this is all I brewed for, for five months because I, I didn't start brewing anything else until I got this the way I wanted it. Well, it's interesting. you answered my a question that I was wondering too, is would a 1995 
Allagash White tastes the same as a 2000 or as a 2020 Allagash White. And you're saying if you got it right in that particular batch in 95, yep. it would. In some ways, it's in some ways you're like those those authors, right? Who who end up getting their best book as their first book. Uh, maybe that's an interesting. It's a that's an interesting thought for sure. But maybe a big difference is like no one bought the book for a dozen years. I mean, it, it literally took it took a dozen years for things to just actually start start popping. And I'm just I'm so bullheaded. I mean, I'd still be doing it on that old beat up. I mean, I'm getting a little in getting a little gray hair now. You know, I'd, it would be it would be a lot harder for me to be waking up and stirring that mash manually the way I used to in the old days and getting in and like shoveling it out. Um, but I'd still be doing it. You told me at one point that you had five people say or something like that in Portland who were pouring your beer and they weren't pouring a lot of your beer. So you would visit them every day and have a oh, beer yeah. to make sure to ensure that one of your beers was poured at least every day. Uh, like we were such a target back then to other breweries and distributors. Cause you know, I mean, you go and account if there's only 10 draft lines, We've got one distributor. They're looking out for me, even though we were a, a tiny brand for them. But there's two other distributors that want those lines. There's 30 other brewers maybe at the time that want those lines. And we're a target. And everyone knows we don't sell back in the 90s. So the first question out of their mark or out of their mouth was, you know, hey, you know, how's the Allagash doing? And they know the answer shitty it's not oh, selling brutal. it's our second worst selling line or whatever but they'd but they would say you know you know what it's our second worst selling line but the guy's in here like two or three days a week so I'm, I'm not taking it off and that's literally i think how i kept draft lines in the 90s is i would just I'd pop in there and I mean, I, I'd come in, there were days where, you know, I'd wake up at five in the morning, come into the brewery and start washing kegs, wash kegs till 11, drive into town, have lunch at a place and have a pint of beer, go to another place, have a pint of beer, go to a third place, have a pint of beer, come back, wash kegs till 9.30 at night. And then I'd drive back into town and I'd usually be able to hit like uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken would have like the end of the night you know, stuff that was left over and you could get like an entire meal for like two bucks. So I just like eat that on the way into town and I'd see two more accounts and go to bed. You know, that, that could be a, t a typical day. Now that you're successful and now that you have people knocking on your door, asking to buy your business, what's the lesson that you take from those, those early years? Ooh, I don't, you know, I don't, know so much if I couple those things. I think the thing now, because we we, you know, we have people that that are knocking on our door occasionally for sure. There's I really didn't think we'd ever be able to like accomplish what we've accomplished. And like the the things to me that are like really important to to me and and motivate me to keep like 
coming in and working at this every day and just keep me passionate about this are like I mentioned our philanthropy program. I mean, here we are giving like over $350,000 a year back to the local community. I mean, my, our first year's sales were like, you know, I think in our first year we sold maybe like $50,000 worth of beer. And here we're giving like $370,000 a year back to the local community. And, you know, if we keep doing this and keep growing, maybe we can get that to like half a million dollars. Maybe we can get it to like a million dollars. And we're, we, we're making all these, um, we've, we've had a ton of accomplishments on the, like the sustainability front. I mean, hopefully people here feel like it's a great place to work where they're, um, you know, there's uh, plenty of opportunity. They're well compensated. They have an amazing benefits package. I mean, we bring five-year employees in, to Belgium every five years. You know, if I were, you know, if I were to walk away from this, what if like whoever comes in after like sees that as an opportunity to drop money to the bottom line and stops, stops doing it? I mean, I, I just see so much on the horizon, especially, we just recently became B Corp certified um, about, about one year ago, and we're super proud of it. it was, Tell people what B Corp is. So B, B Corp basically is, it, it's, a, it's a third party entity that comes in and audits you, and you need to prove to them through this very extensive audit. I mean, it's like a 50 page audit that when you make decisions, you don't just consider your shareholders, you consider the stakeholders. So you consider your employees, the community and the environment. So, and we actually, we feel like um, we having focused on a lot of these things for 20 or so years, we felt like we'd skate right through um, to, uh, the, the B Corp status, but we, we just barely squeaked through, honestly. So we look at that score that we have, which, which was tough to get and qualifies us as B Corp status. But, you know, anything over and above that is just, it's almost like a roadmap to doing better, to doing better with the community employees in, in the environment. So we're excited about it. And, you know, I'm just, I'm too excited about everything we we just we've got an amazing team here. We've accomplished a lot. Um, I mean, I'll give you one other example of something that I'm just like super fired up about. We made a commitment uh, uh, four years ago to be buying a million pounds of main grown and processed grain. Um, and it seemed like I mean, if you'd have told me ten years ago that we'd even be buying twenty thousand pounds of main grown and processed grain, I'd be like, "You're crazy." There's no infrastructure for it. There's no farmers growing it. You can't grow malt, you know, quality uh, barley in the state. And like, here we are, even with COVID and a not so great harvest year this year, we think we're going to pull this million pounds thing off. You know, maybe is that five a million years. pounds a year or is that a million pounds? A million over? pounds a year. So, and, and, but you've made a commitment over a longer period of time as well to these farmers, right? So that they're investing, knowing exactly. that you're going to be there buying their wheat, right? We knew, we knew we couldn't just like flip a switch and get to a million. We were going to have to sit down with farmers and like map out a five-year plan to make this possible. Because yeah, I mean, we're buying a ton of white wheat and malted barley from say Buck Farms in Mapleton. 
all they were growing 10 years ago, even eight years ago was potatoes. That's what they grew. They were potato farmers. They did grow uh, barley as a, some barley as a rotation crop, but they were basically potato farmers. So they now don't grow potatoes. All they grow now is barley. And they, for us, they grow the white wheat for, for the white beer. Um, and, and, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. It, so this, this was like a, a long-term plan and commitment. You know, the farmers made a commitment. We, we made a commitment and, and we think we're going to get there. So those are more the things I think of if someone ever comes and knocks on the door, I'm like, there are so many more opportunities. And those are the things that really like I get excited about and motivate me. There's so many more opportunities to make this, you know, an even better place to work and make our benefits even more robust for our, for us to give more back to the community, for us to be more sustainable, for us to contribute more, you know, buying, um, you know, lifting the main agricultural community. So I'm, I want to get into a few that. of those into the into the benefits for your employees, but also how did the Sorry, I'm grabbing let, a beer. let's start on the <laughs> on the growing of wheat and barley? How did that conversation start? We buy a lot of stuff uh, for our you know apparel for our mostly for uh, our sales force and, and distributors uh, reps from Patagonia. And uh, Patagonia, it's a really cool company in that they are very willing to share best practices, whether it's like HR best practices or purchasing best practices, sustainability. And so I started spending some time out there when, I, when, our, um, when Jill, who does our merchandise selection, when she went out there, I'd also go out there and I'd meet with people and spend time talking to people. And this is Ventura, California? Is that This where? is Ventura, yeah. Okay. And I ended up just in passing meeting Yvonne Chouinard and we started talking about beer and then we started talking about um, how agriculture has just gotten commoditized and industrialized. And um, we started talking about some of these, I guess, like native seed varieties that just have been abandoned and aren't grown anymore. And, you know, I, I think we even started about, you know, talking about what if there was like two row barley being grown in Maine a hundred years ago, but now it's all being grown 1500 miles away and malted 1200 miles away and shipped here. You know, maybe there are some varieties that can be grown here that, you know, we don't even really know about that we can explore and start buying, you know, start making, uh, start growing grain locally. Maybe it's like kind of right under our nose, the opportunity to, to do these things. And I just got my gears turning. And at the same time, uh, our brewmaster Jason told me that there was a farmer starting to, starting to experiment on a really small scale, growing malt quality barley um, and floor malting it. I mean, I'm talking like a really, really small scale. And I just kind of was like, why not? Like, why not just make this happen? And we, we did. So did you just drive out there? Just drive out to the farm and go, Hey, this is an idea. What do you think? Pretty much, pretty mm. much. And you know, it, it did, even when we did it, we we're just like, I don't know if this is possible, like a million pounds, like from, you know, almost nothing at, at, at the time. I mean, it was very, that was a really, really small scale operation back then. And now and I was just up there a couple months ago and it's like barley and wheat as far as you can see. I was able to drive the combine, which was really 
um, really cool, or at least ride in the com in the combine. One of the perks but, of the job. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like it's it's so cool now that so next year, hopefully, knock on wood, there'll be a million pounds of grain and it's not grown fifteen hundred miles away and then like trucked all the way out this way. It's grown right up the road here. And helping the economy in Maine, which has gone through some difficult times when manufacturing, a lot of manufacturing went away. Especially Northern Maine. Yeah. So then you're able to prop up some of these farmers. I mean, you're employing more people than you're employing at the brewery. Was yeah. this, it sounds like from the beginning, you always had an idea, sort of a, a holistic idea of how you wanted to approach the business. You're in it for the passion. You're in it for the love of what you're doing. You're not imagining like once we get here, then we'll sell it to somebody. Or once we get there, then we've arrived. It's like you're in it for the love of doing it. But it sounds like yeah. it's also, it's, it's organic to who your business is, that it's about the people. And some of what the question I was asking about, you know, what did you learn? It sounds like you learned the people part of it, that, that they're not going to take your beer off tap because they have a personal connection with you. And your employees are going to go above and beyond because they have a passion for what they're doing, but they also know that you have a passion for them. Did that, did that start in the beginning? Is that what you were trying to create? And in some ways you're making beer, but were you trying to create something else in addition to making beer? Yeah, I should have had you write like the abstract to our business plan. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot there to, to unpack. I mean, I think I kind of, uh, you know, honestly, when I started, I didn't think it would amount to anything. I really didn't. Um, but that that concept you mentioned of like getting it to a certain point and selling it, I mean, that is one thing I, I like never would have considered. I, I basically was just like, I just want to do this for the rest of my life. Like, I don't like the point for me is to come in every day and and do this. It's not to like do it to a certain point and you know walk away from it or build it to a certain point and walk away from it that was never like never a goal of mine it was just to come in and do this every day because um because i love doing it you know and along the way yeah again the first 10 or 12 years were a complete grind and the beer didn't sell and um you know a lot of people here talk about like oh that must have been so cool in like the good old days i'm like the good old days were not like good old days. The good old days were were a grind. Top ramen, futon on the floor, yeah. <laughs> jumping on you. Good old days, those days. Exactly. Um, but you know, as when the brand did start to to take off, right about the same time that I realized, like, this is such an amazing crew of people we have, and right about. At the same time, I realized, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for philanthropy now that we're, you know, making a little bit of money. Um, it, you know, at that point, I started to get energized about, hey, this could be, this really could be more than just making beer. Like, we really could, like, almost like make beer to do good. And then kind of, we can use the beer to fuel more good. And I, I really do look at it as... Um, as we grow in volume, 
And it's funny, I get asked all the time, like, well, as you guys grow, doesn't the quality go down? Well, it's like, no, just the opposite. Like our quality has gotten exponentially better as we've grown because we invest it in, you know, we've been able to invest it in state-of-the-art equipment that we never could have dreamed of owning for the first 10 years. And, and I'm kind of looking at the whole business like that. Like as we grow, we have like more opportunity to do more good. We have more opportunity to improve quality, more opportunity to give more to the community, you know, more opportunity for, um, you know, more robust employee benefits. I mean, there's just, op there's opportunity everywhere. And, and that's probably the thing that, you know, excites me more than anything now. Your, your, your wheat and your barley is grown locally. So it's not being shipped 1500 miles. Well, a million of the pounds are. And, and that's about, yeah, I think we buy probably six or 7 million pounds okay. of grain a year. Um, but again, I wouldn't have, I, I think a lot of what you think isn't, possible it's like right under your nose and it, it's it's possible and it's there and it's doable you just have to like do it you know make make it happen I mean you just and maybe that's not not the best way to put it I I, I think you, you get so used to doing things a certain way you just assume that's all that's the only way to do them that's just how things are for a reason it's how they're always gonna be it's how they should be um, but there are like all these opportunities that are like right under our nose. I mean, that opportunity to do a million pounds of grain, that was there 10 years before we had the idea to do it. We just had to like have the idea to do it and make it, make it happen. Is it a better quality? It's the same quality. It's same the quality. same quality. So yeah, we have, We've, you know, again, doing this 20, 25 years, our brewmaster, Jason, and our QC team, we have uh, seven, seven or eight full-time people on our QC team. I mean- Which QC a, team is? A quality control team. Okay. So they're working in the lab, um, doing microbiology stuff, you know, uh, uh, supply chain analysis, um, finished beer analysis, process analysis. I mean, just basically looking at anything that could affect, you know, all the way, like the seam on this can, everything, like anything quality there, they're doing that work. Um, and, you know, obviously the whole team, any, the whole team is doing that work. We've done so much work on understanding, uh, you know, what the specs are of, of all the inputs in this business we're able to basically say to those farmers, instead of just saying, you know, going up there with a handful of malt that we're using saying, hey, can you make this? We're able to go to them with like very specific specs and say like, this, this is what we need. So essentially everything we're getting from Northern Maine has identical specs to, to what we're getting um, with our existing suppliers. That's interesting. For me, I don't, I mean, I me like a lot of other people. I mean, obviously we've seen beer, we've, we've had beer, but we don't know how it works. We don't know how scientific it is from beginning to end, the quality control. And that's, I guess that's part of it, right? That you want it to taste exactly the same way that it was going to taste. The, the, the way the, you want it to taste the way that you expect it to taste. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not like, oh, this, this one tastes different. That's not, yeah. that's not necessarily a good thing, but helping the people. So you're talking, one of your biggest things is balancing 
the life, the work mm. life with the home life, which mm -hmm. you didn't have at all when mm. you first started. When did you get married during this whole process? So we got married in 99. So I was a good five years into it. So my wife, Betsy, you know, when she knew me, I was like, I was in it. And, you know, I guess she knew to some extent what to expect. Uh, she was very, very tolerant of me not having a work-life balance for probably way longer than I, you know, should have. I mean, honestly, I think I, you, you end up with blinders on just like work when you're going seven days a week, you know, 10 to 16 hours a day, whatever it is, you all, I think you almost lose sight of the importance of some balance. I mean, you get like so drawn into it. You, you know, you don't give yourself the opportunity or see the value in the balance. And I finally started taking uh, Sundays off. And then I started taking Saturday Sundays off, which probably was only seven or eight years ago, maybe. Um, so I started taking the whole weekend off and it was just like, oh my gosh, like I, I should have started doing this 15 years ago. I mean, I would have been, I would have seen my family way more. I would have seen, you know, way more of my, you know, daughters growing up. I mean, I, I missed a lot of that stuff. And I, I probably didn't need to be doing that. You just kind of get almost like lost and, and, and drawn into it. And, you know, once I did start taking those weekends off, I, I, I felt like I had more energy for sure for, for the work week. Um, and, you know, maybe I needed, I guess maybe I needed to do it. I mean, I don't want to second guess kind of how things un, unfolded, but uh I mean, now I am, a, I'm able to spend way more family time, which is awesome. And, you know, that's been one of the gifts of COVID. I, I traveled, I don't know how many days of the year I traveled, um, 200 days a year, maybe not that many, but a lot. And it's been really cool just like being here for like seven straight months and I'm, I'm loving it. It's fun. You know, I'll be home for dinner tonight. It's it's a little scary when you're going through the airport and you run into the flight attendant and she asks you where you're going today. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Todd, where are you going today? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And and where you're stomped by that question. Um, hold on. Like, hold on. I know yeah. where I'm going. Yeah. Let me, let me think about that. Or, you know, like, how was your trip last week? And I'm just like, where was I last week? Like, I, can't, I don't even remember, you know? It was only like, four or five days ago. When you're working that hard, is it that you come home smelling like a brewery and all that stuff too? I mean, is it just, cause look, look at you now, like you've got your Allagash shirt on, you look clean, you yeah. look nice, you look presentable. Well, you semi presentable. Just up to your, up <laughs> to your elbows in. In the early days for sure. Yeah, I'd just be, you know, uh, a mess. You know, <laughs> I definitely wasn't, wearing nice clothes to work every day. Cause I, it, you know, it, it's, it's again, like it's a trade you're working with your hands, you're getting dirty, you're getting wet, you're getting hot. And, uh, you know, maybe less so in after 10 or 15 or so years, but definitely on the weekends, like, again, I'd go in and fix stuff on the weekends. I remember one Christmas, my daughter was only like four or five years old. Um, 
And I went in Christmas Eve, like I usually, I mean, I was the only one to come in on those days to, to like check the fermentations. I went in to check the fermentations and there was a refrigerant pump, a glycol pump leaking. And so I was like, I had to call my wife and say, I, I think her parents were in town too. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be like five hours of fixing this pump. And it was Christmas Eve. And, and, and then, you know, we woke up the next day, opened up presents. I was like, I got to go in. And I was in for another five hours. But it's like, you either, like I had an option, like I could like lose the batches of beer or fix the pump on Christmas. Like you don't really have a choice. Is there any interest from, from your kids of, uh, of following you into the family business or how does that one work? I think, you know, they're there. I have two daughters and they're 18 and 13. I think they're still a little, uh, I think they're, they're still a little young to have, you know, neither of them has, uh, I mean, definitely not the 13 year old. Uh, my older daughter's really interested in science. You know, there's a major science component here, but I, I really feel like they should do whatever they want to do in life. I don't want to put any, you know, my parents didn't put any pressure on me. I definitely don't want to put pressure on them. Like the most important thing to me is that they're happy doing what they're doing. Like it's really important to me that they can wake up every day and be passionate about, about what they're doing and to feel like, you know, they're contributing and hopefully they are contributing. Um, but you know, if they don't want to get into it, I totally understand and I'm fine with it. If they want to get into it, I, I would support that a hundred percent also. Was there ever a time that your mother came back to you and said, okay, I guess this was not a fantasy land that you were living in? You, after, uh, ten, it took 10 or so years, but finally, yeah, finally, yeah. I mean, I sure wouldn't be around if it wasn't for them. And they had faith in me. They co-signed loans in the early, you know, my dad co-signed that SBA loan. Uh, he loaned me some money. Um, he invested. Um, I've, I've since bought, uh, bought, um, almost, uh, bought them out almost a hundred percent. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we, I sure wouldn't be around if it, if it wasn't for them. I'm actually, I got hanging on the wall, uh, a couple of days before Christmas, I think it was either 99 or 2000, our bank pulled the loan, um, you know, just like form letter in the mail, no call. It was just like, none of the checks you wrote are going to be honored. You know, you're in the special assets department, which is like the workout department of the bank. You know, my wife called me because she opened the letter at home. She's like, what is this? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't gotten it yet at the brewery. And then I got one and, um, you know, obviously, yeah, my, my, my dad was a huge help in, in, in getting me through that. Is it a belief? You know, I mean, is it because you talk about the passion and, and there's a dream and there are a lot of us in this world who aren't really allowed to dream or we don't allow ourselves to dream. And, and you were following a dream and you, you've, made, you've made a dream work. You've made a dream work to the point where you have 150 employees, where you have award-winning beers. Is there is there a message that you can send to people about the dream and about following your dream and, and making it through those difficult times? I mean, I think for me, and I don't, you know, I'm saying this having not done other things, so I don't really like have other experiences, but I can say that like I, I really am. Like I love almost everything about this business. I'm, I'm so passionate about it, and 
I, I really do think if, if you're doing something that you're like that passionate and engaged with and that inspired by even some of those, you know, not so glamorous com components of the job, if you're just that in inspired and drawn to something, if you go to work on it like every day for, for 20 years, chances are something something fulfilling is going to happen doesn't necessarily mean you get to 100 barrels or you sell it for you know millions of dollars or you know whatever the metric is but um something that's satisfying for you is going to happen you know if you're a teacher maybe it's you get to the point where um people are coming to you in their in their 20s saying like you've changed my life um, you know, maybe it's, you know, I, I don't know what it is, you know, maybe you're, you're doing with, um, uh, working with, you know, a, a group in the community and like you make an amazing Im impact with that group. You know, I, I, I don't know what it is, but if you're, and if you're just really passionate, engaged with something and work at it year over year, over year, over year, like something that is, fulfilling is gonna like fulfilling to you is going to materialize and i think that's kind of what that is what's happened here it well it's personal isn't it at that point if you if you're really passionate about something it's about it's about you growing as well and you're willing to grow in those hard times are when you often grow the most they're certainly not the things that you love the most i'm sure that there are parts of the business that you love and I'm sure there are parts of the business that you that you don't love so much. And, and you have to do those or the times when you think, okay, well, I've got to go to all of these restaurants and breweries where they're pouring my beer. And there's a little bit of just sort of swallowing your ego as you, as you go in and go, okay, yes, I'm going to be the one guy that you're going to pour for today, but you're going to pour it for me. And, and, and I think that's, that's some of the lesson that I think that we all need to learn. And I love that you're doing it, right? That you're doing it and living this, living this passion and getting this, getting the people who say, Rob, you know, getting your mother who says, you know, this, this is a bit of a fantasy. You're going to you're gonna have to grow up at some point. And you say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to make the fantasy work. And maybe you make it work in the way that you have, or maybe it doesn't work out quite as well as you had, you had assumed and you're looking for, and you're growing something that's bigger though. I mean, looking at, at being able to grow something that is bigger, that to me is the thing that's so important about what you're doing and looking at your employees. I mean, I came, I've spoken at your place twice now. And the last time I went to the, to the lobster fest with you, which it was just so cool to see the people who were there. That was a celebration, but you could also see the passion and you brought me around and did the tour and going through the tour, everybody was so passionate. And obviously, you know, you're the head honcho and stuff like that. And I'm an invited guest. So I've got, you know, a little bit of something that seems interesting, but everybody was so passionate as we were going through that seems conscious. That seems conscious that you've nurtured that. How do you go about, nurturing that sense of because they might not even know it's there the people who are working for you you're helping to get them to some place that they might not have realized they could go yeah i mean you know going back to the early days it's 
you know, I don't think I was self-aware enough to know or to like, you know, understand what this could be like for me or, um, you know, employees. I, I think it was like almost as simple and maybe it's like, honestly, like a selfish thing. Um, I, I just wanted to do it so much that, you know, this was, not, this is what I was going to do. You know, I didn't like necessarily set out to create, uh, like an amazing place to work or, you know, to give what we give now to the community or to have the quality that we're now lucky enough to have with all this equipment that we've invested in. But I just, I, I loved doing it and I, I wanted, I wanted to do it. I was passionate about it. And I, I do think employees now see how passionate that I am about, you know, what I, what I do. And I mean, I think to a large extent, people look at like, how does the, how does leadership hold themselves? Like does leader, what's important to leadership? You know, is, do they just want to like run this thing for five years and, and flip it and walk off? Um, do they, are they more concerned with the bottom line than, than quality? Are they more concerned with like the bottom line than, than employees? Um, so I think they, they look to the tone the leader sets and, you know, I really am like genuinely like excited and passionate about like everything we do here and everyone else is. And it just, it like, like pollinates it like it, it all that passion just like rubs off on everyone it rubs off from me to them um and it honestly it rubs off from them to me like you know i mentioned when i wake up in the morning i can't wait to come in here and probably and this is one of the like tragedies to to you know one of the many tragedies about covid um probably my favorite thing to do is to like come in here and spend time talking with people, like go out on the bottling line or the canning line and, you know, um, just like see how things are going and engage with employees. And they'll usually show me something new that's going on and like go up on the brew deck, go in the QC lab, you know, stop in the, our uh, Celine's office, who's head of HR, stop in Naomi's office, who's head of sales. And I just, I love like spending time with these people and like, I'm, you know, finding out about what they're doing uh, today, what, what are their plans for like the next month? What are the challenges on their plate? Like, I, I love it. I, and I think we all, like all of our passion just like rubs off on each other. And, you know, I don't know, it's just, it's like energizing. Like I get energized. And, you know, I mentioned like, or you mentioned the spreadsheets. Like I can't sit in here all day looking at spreadsheets. I need to like go out and get energy from the crew. And, and maybe also, you know, in non-COVID times, it's me going out and spending time, spending a day with one of our, like uh, one of our sales reps and getting to know them. And uh, so, you know, unfortunately with COVID that just, some of that personal time gets challenged for sure. I mean, you can't, you know, we're not putting a ton of people in a, in a small room these days. Right. And, you know, it's going to be a real challenge this winter up in this, in this main climate because you can't spend time inside. It's tough to spend time outside if it's 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, but just, I think that passion just, it like, 
it bounces off everyone and, and cross pollinates and like I get passionate from them and like they get passionate from me. And they, they know I, 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 I love this, you know? Tell us what, what Belagash is. Every year in full disclosure, we copied this from New Belgium Brewing, but I heard New Belgium <laughs> Brewing takes their- Plagiarism, plagiarism only counts when you're in school, right? That's right, yeah. Um, but uh, they took their employees after five years to Belgium. And, you know, this is the kind of thing in the first dozen or so years. I mean, I knew they did that and we couldn't, we didn't have the resources to do that back then. But when we finally did get the resources to do that and, you know, other things we do now, um, we started doing it. And it's, it's just started with two employees. Jason, the brewmaster and I took two employees because we only had, I mean, I think there was like five or five or eight of us or something like that at the company at the time. And it's grown since then. Last year, I think we took like 13 or 14 people to Belgium. And it's, it's a real unique opportunity to like be immersed in the culture that our like brewing is based on. I mean, like, you know, and I think it helps. We've, we've got this one program at the brewery, anyone at the brewery, whether they're in sales, marketing, accounting, um, the warehouse, if they've got an idea for a beer, they can brew it on a little 10 gallon system. And we literally probably are brewing a hundred unique beers a year on that system. It gets run twice a week. It's probably getting run right now, or at least today it got run. And uh, I, I think trips like that are an inspiration for that creativity. It's not just Jason, the brewmaster, and I that are coming up with new recipes here at the brewery. It's not just the marketing department that's coming up with ideas. It's like 150 passionate employees. I mean, why not, right? Coming up with these cool beers. I mean, this, that's where this came out of. This is a new, it's like a low ABV, sessionable, um, fruited beer, like a little bit tart came out of that it came out of that system and uh you know i think that being immersed in that belgium tradition it definitely helps fuel that program and i think it fuels a lot of a, a lot of things we do here at the brewery and of course it's a nice thank you and it's a really cool opportunity for me again like i i mentioned like spending time with employees is one of the things that i'm most energized by it's a it's an opportunity for me to spend like an entire week with someone like in belgium um just hanging out with them and talking about beer and life and anything else um and i you know i i i know all of them and i see them in passing or in meetings but this is an opportunity to like you know kind of relax and and spend a week abroad yeah. Just um, uh, immersed in uh, immersed in our brewing tradition. It, it's a lot of fun. That's just, it sounds like an amazing thing. Well, I, I just, I mean, I think what you're doing is so cool on so many fronts because it's so easy to look at you as a brewer and, and a successful brewer. But that to me is just scratching the surface. Just the surface of, of what you do because the people are so important, the balance of life, the, the sustainability, your place within your community. I mean, Sebago Lake, uh, the 
million pounds of, of wheat and barley or million pounds of grain coming out of Maine. I mean, it's, it, it really is. What do you think, what do you, what, where do you do your best thinking? Because I'm assuming that for you, you take, you take a little bit of time off. I see your surfboard behind you. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of balance in your life where, where I think there's some surfing going on and then, which I, you're in Maine. So it's probably wetsuit surfing for most of the time, but I was out this morning. It was not warm. <laughs> but these are when you get your best waves, isn't it? Yeah. The winter's good. Yeah. yeah. This is when you get some good stuff. So what, what, what's going to be next for you? Do you have, do you have kind of a five-year plan? Do you have a 10 year plan? Do you have a year plan? I mean, obviously COVID is, has changed some things for you. You've had to flip what your, mm. what your, what your regular approach is, right? Flip your percentages, but do you have the next five, 10 years mapped out or? You know, it's, it's interesting. I'm thinking about that now. And I'm not sure how much I would have been, I, I'm not sure I would be coming at it from the same place just a year ago as I am now. And one of the reasons it gets kind of, I guess, to my point with the grain. Um, before we made this commitment to grow a million pounds of grain, you know, we were doing things a certain way and we, you just kind of, you get on this track and uh, you know, change kind of is hard because like things are going okay, right? And there's no like necessary, necessarily there's not, or there isn't necessarily a whole lot of like pressure to change. And so you don't change a whole lot. And I think your vision of the future looks a lot like just where you are now because like things are going okay. So it might be, a, it might be some tweaks, but it's kind of more, it, it's, it's more of the same. When something like COVID hits, I mean, for us, it's been extremely disruptive um, on all kinds of fronts. I mean, we sold 70% of our beer in the restaurant and bar channel. That went away like instantly. We had to close our guest relations, 150,000 guests a year that we host. You know, that's closed. We're doing walk up only. It's, it's, at, it's created all kinds of, you know, production challenges. Keep, how do you keep everyone healthy and keep, making beer. So like all this like pressure and stress has moved us to a place where we're like having to reevaluate everything. And like so many things have, have been either completely shut down or just in, you know, dramatically altered. It's put me in a place you know, we've managed our way through a lot of COVID, you know, we're, we're going to be okay. We've retooled things. We're selling more, you know, cans and bottles uh, in the grocery and, you know, we'll be able to get through the winter doing that. So it's moved me more towards this place of, okay, what does the future look like for us? And I'm definitely thinking about it differently because I'm challenging the way we have done things historically on like pretty much every front. And I personally think, and I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. So I can't answer your question, but I do think that five years from now, we're going to look back and say like, because of COVID, we are like light years ahead of where we ever dreamed we would be from like a sustainability perspective, from like a diversity and inclusion perspective, um, from a quality perspective. 
I, I just think we're going to move leaps and bounds on those fronts because we have like just moved. We have been, we've been forced into a place where like everything we do, like has to be reevaluated just for us to survive. Wow. And so that's interesting because, because one, you said that you moved your can, you moved into cans, which you thought was going to be a three-year process, which in, in COVID you did in three months, right? You were forced to accelerate your whole process. But then some of the other stuff, the sustainability, the inclusion are, are the things that are central to your thinking right now, mm. which, which for a lot of other people, I mean, obviously there are a lot of things that have gone on that are not necessarily part of COVID, right? With George Lloyd, yeah. with, mm -hmm. with Black Lives Matter, with, with a variety of other things that have come into our consciousness right now and have come, but, but as you're running a business to think that those are some of the priorities and some of the things that are going to come out of this when it's a stressful time to me is just one of the coolest thoughts that, that I can, that I can think of that it's, that it seems like what you're doing is there's a central business and then there's an essential business, you know, and the essential business really is the human environmental part. And the central business is, is effectively what you do, which there's tremendous passion for that. Do you feel like you agree with that? Does that, does that make sense? It, it does. And, you know, I think that that uh, reference to the cans, I think that's, that's a good, that's a good example because I mean, it's a pretty like tangible quantifiable thing. I mean, we basically had this, we decided that we had a lot of eggs in the restaurant and bar basket and we had a lot of opportunity um, in the can and bottle, you know, grocery um, channel, convenience channel. So we, we, you know, again, things were going okay. So we're like, let's not change too quick, but let's like do a four or five year plan to develop that opportunity. And year one of that plan was to put in a canning line. And then years two through five were to roll out a bunch of new, new beers, which we had, you know, most of that more or less thought through and just in a queue, right? Um, COVID hits, we basically were like, if we're going to survive, we need to execute this like five-year plan, it, but we need to do it in just a few months. Right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right now. And I'm kind of thinking now we, we've gotten through like phase, phase one of that project. Like we've executed all these things we wanted to roll out. You know, this is, again, this is one of them. You know, I'm looking at the artwork my daughters did. Now I know where this can artwork came from. Our marketing department stole it from my daughters. See, see, they're already in the business. I know, I know. But uh, now I'm kind of like, why didn't we just do this in the first place? You know, like, if if it's if it this is that like doable and possible, why didn't we do it? And you know, there's a there's a lot of things like that uh, going on right now for for sure. Well, I just I just think it's great and. For me, I'm just, I'm so thankful that you are willing to share your story with me just because, I mean, we knew each other in college and, and I think we've gotten to know each other better after college. I think so. Yeah. And, and really every time I look at it and I tell people a story, I just say, I, I'm just, I'm filled with such respect for, 
for what you're doing, what you, you know, the, it, it, it's the whole thing, right? It's the whole like taking an idea and a risk and making it happen, but also filling it out so that it is about the people. It's the stuff that you can look back at the end of your career and say, I'm really proud of the way that I approached each day and each person. Well, that, and that kind of gets back to what we really just like started talking about is like my biggest fear graduating college was like just to jump into or get sucked in a career where I, where I was scared, like I might not feel like that when I was like done, whatever done looks like. I mean, they're going to have to carry me out of here probably, <laughs> unfortunately for everyone here. I mean, I, I never want to stop doing it, but uh, like, Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't imagine now. I mean, we're getting up there a little bit, right? <laughs> like I, I'm over 50 now. Um, I can't imagine if I was sitting at a desk looking back at the last 25 years and being like, what did I just do with the last 25 years of my life? You know, I mean, I, I've had a blast the last 25 years. Any, any message that you would give to a kid graduating from college now? I would just like, and again, I mean, it's such a cliche, but do something you're passionate about. Don't, don't succumb to pressure, the pressure, like, you, you know, you need to do this or you, sh you should do this. Like do what, do like what you want to do, do what, like when, when the alarm goes off in the morning, do something that you're going to be like excited to go in and do like, when that alarm goes off, at least I feel like blessed having been able to wake up the last 25 years. When that alarm goes off, like I can't wait to go in and do what I do every year. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, we, we've, we've been lucky to get this to a point I never, I never thought we would, um, where I think there's a lot of potential to do a lot of good for like the next 25 years. I'm, I'm excited about the B Corp efforts. Uh, I'm excited about like sustainability efforts, like the million pounds of grain, a lot of diversity and inclusion work that we're doing now. Um, I mean, this, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like I'm energized by it. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next 25 years. We just, we just had our 25th anniversary. I saw that and you did 20 di 25 days of giving. We did, for yeah. For your yep. 25th anniversary, right? Yeah, and that, you know, it looks a little different. Um, I mean, uh, we don't have the flexibility in our, we're not going to be giving uh, $370,000 back to the local community this year just because COVID's really put a lot of pressure on this business. But we're coming up with uh, a lot of like cool, innovative ways to give back. Uh, one of the things we did is we did free beer for, for frontline workers. Um, and it turns out that free beer is really popular because we created like a massive traffic jam here. It was like really appreciated by everyone in the community. Um, there's a really, there's a, a lot of cool organizations in town that support the immigrant community here in Portland. We have a very vibrant immigrant community. Um, and there's, there's one organization called In Her Presence and it's started by um, immigrant women and it's run for the benefit of immigrant women and to kind of celebrate the 25th anniversary. And I don't 
well, I used to make, I'm going to grab one of them here. I used to make the, the tap ones. I used to turn them on a, turn them on a lathe, um, which I can't, you know, it used to take me hours and hours and hours to do it. So I decided I was going to um, basically turn, turn a tap handle, just like I used to do 25 years ago. And we uh, raffled that off the tap handle. And I found a bunch of old cool stuff, like my original business cards and like sell sheets and stuff. And uh, we raised $2,500 with that raffle for that organization, Inner Presence, that supports the immigrant community. So like, again, like give away beer, um, supporting that community with raffles. We're, we're thinking of, we've, we've been real creative with just coming up with different ways of, of giving back. And that really is we, isn't it? It's not you, it's we, the team, are coming up with creative ways. Big time team effort. I mean, there's no way we could have pulled off things like that uh, free beer without, without, that was an all hands on deck thing. You know, another cool thing we did, we, we, we get a lot of, we use a lot of oak barrels, bourbon barrels for a beer that we make called Curio. And um, we usually sell, I think like, I don't know, 500 of them or so every month. And we usually sell them to companies that make furniture or age spirits in it. Um, but about a month or so ago, we decided to sell them and give half the proceeds to the, the local public school um, here in, in this Riverton part of Portland. Um, you know, which it, it, it definitely has a lot of challenges out here in this community that some of the other public schools don't have. And uh, we raised, I think, something like, I'm going to get the, I'm going to get the number wrong, but I'm, you know, a few thousand dollars and they were able to, you know, remote learning is so important now. They were able to buy like a bunch of laptop computers for, for students. So again, just like being creative with giving back different ways. Helping their future. Is there, to get back on the beer side before we get you out, is there a beer that somebody should try? Do you want, is there something you need to promote to the people out there? Well, I mean, this, this one is, this one I'm really excited about. I'm trying, I'm trying to be healthy these days. I'm trying to get in the water and surf a bunch. Um, and, uh, this is like low ABV, low calorie. It's, it's fruited. It, this comes out of our innovation program. Um, uh, and like, I've been loving these. There's, it's Little Grove by Allagash. And we do one Little Grove with black currants, And one of them um, has a kombucha that we make uh, in addition to, to peaches. So these are kind of, these are kind of cool. Um, we just came out with a really cool stout called North Sky also. Like cool. a Belgian style stout. And last question, when are we going to get to ski again? Hopefully soon. I mean, I, I don't know if we're going to be coming out West this year. I think we're going to be, we're going to be doing East coast skiing. Um, next let's do it, man. Like not, not this next year. I don't see COVID travel in, in my future. Unfortunately, I don't, this next I don't winter, think so. the winter after let's, let's definitely hit the slopes. Okay. Um, that was a blast. My daughter had a blast too. Eliza. She was like, she was like, man, he is fast. Yeah, I mean, you like took right off. Uh, she, she, she's a good skier too. She likes to ski fast, but yeah, she had a blast. We'll have to do that. I had a blast. We'll, we'll, we'll do it again. We'll do it again soon for sure. That'll be a treat. We'll keep up yeah. the great work, Rob. And thank you for joining us on Living It. Really appreciate it, but, but definitely keep doing what you're doing for the people, for the community and 
keep making a great product too. Thanks for having me. This was fun. All right. Sounds good. Thank you all for joining us. <laughs>